It's time once again for the Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast with your hosts, David Lindner and Kevin Cruz. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a resource for all worship leaders and team members serving in the local church. Take a seat at the table and join the conversation as David, Kevin, and their guests discuss all things worship, from team dynamics to technology to song selection. Feel free to poke fun at David's hair, talk football, or bring up other topics that have nothing to do with worship. We want to add your voice to the conversation. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. Or just head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and drop a note in the comments section of any episode. And now, it's time for the show. Hey, everyone. Hello. Welcome uh, to episode 171 of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. Yes. And uh, we are thrilled to be here with you today. We have a great episode lined up. Next week's episode is going to be great. In fact, the whole month of November, you're it's, just going to be... It's all great. Just blasted with awesome episodes. And Everything. that's not because of us, no. but great guests. And uh, Dave Yauk at uh, Garden City Project is working with us. We're partnering together, and he's uh, starting to help us get some interviews lined up and things like that. So we're going to be talking about that partnership more uh, in a couple episodes from now, but uh, we're going to get right to a couple of interviews today. Right. Well, with, and the, exciting, that are and the exciting thing is, you know, you're you're going to be hearing a lot of great material, but it's going to be a lot less of David and Kevin and a lot more of others, <laughs> which is nice because a lot of times it's just me and uh, David. And um, um, before we get to the before we get to the uh, interview, um, I wanted to give a quick shout out. And it's been, you know, David, it's been a while since you and I have recorded. Right. Uh, we've been busy. Uh, there's been all kinds of stuff. We were in Disneyland, Disneyland. At the same time. At the same time. How crazy well, was that? We'll have to talk about that yeah. at some point. Yeah. We'll save that crazy. for a few we, episodes. We actually met up in Disneyland. We didn't plan it. It's not like our families planned the vacation. Right? No. But both of our families ended up in Disneyland. But we should have said we did plan it because oh. we're such good friends. It was like, <laughs> we need to go to Disneyland together. Let's do it together. Yeah. yeah. We rode some rides. It was fun. Anyway, all that aside, it's been a while since uh, we've recorded. And um, I-, I wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Stephen Miller. Um, uh, a month or two ago, got uh, he um, was putting out a an EP. Uh, it's called In God We Trust. It released on October 18th. And he reached out to us. It's just we haven't recorded an episode, so we haven't been able to talk about it. Um, but uh, it's already been released in God We Trust. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. There's some other places, or just do a search for it. Uh, I took a listen to the album, and I gotta say, especially in light of you know the political, uh, you know, kind of where we're at uh, with the election coming up, um, this is just such a great album for it. And that's actually kind of part of why he uh, recorded it. Um, You know, he said, this is a quote from Stephen Miller, um, that I'm praying God uses it to encourage people in this crazy season of tension in our nation and around our world. Um, So great EP. There's some wonderful songs. Probably the, you know, my personal favorite song is that first track, King of All. Uh, It just has this great refrain. We crown you King of All. We crown you King of All. And what I appreciated about the whole album um, is four songs, but the whole thing is it's just an anthem of praise. Everything about it is praise. Um, you know, it, it has uh, it has just a, a great idea about, you know, the kingdom having no end. I mean, very much scriptural based. 
Um, and I think that's kind of what we need, right? Like when we think about the world we're in and we think about the craziness that surrounds our world, uh, the one thing I keep going to is God is in control. Uh, he is king of all. His kingdom has no end. And that's what these songs are about. Great voice. Um, reminded me a lot of, uh, uh, you remember uh, Ross Parsley, uh, mm-hmm. New Life Worship. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had that My Savior Lives album right. a number of years ago. Uh, has a voice just like that. Or Mark Schultz um, has a great vibe uh, to it. There's uh, the second song, Waves of Grace. Remind me a lot of kind of Bethel. There's some of that electro type stuff nice, in there. Yeah. And of course, you know, the reference to water and oceans, you know, you, every album's got to have like <laughs> right, a, right. like a water reference. Atmosphere or, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So Waves of Grace is another great album. Anyway, but I wanted to make sure before we jump to the interview um, that I, I gave a shout out to uh, Stephen Miller. So go check out his album, In God We Trust. It's definitely worth it. $4 uh, on iTunes. You know, pick it up, get it. Uh, be encouraged that God is in control, that he is king of all that his kingdom has no end. Yeah, definitely worth supporting. And four bucks, I mean, we've yeah. got four bucks to blow on on something like that. Yeah, and I support mean, a, real, a real person. You can buy a yeah. coffee or you can buy this album. Yeah, so give up one coffee this week Come and on. you can buy this album. <laughs> Which, so. which actually, honestly, it, it really is good. Like, it's produced well, uh, great vocals, and the scriptural focus of Jesus being the king of all and uh, the kingdom of Christ. Uh, it's just really good. It could be very timely for uh, the, the week we're heading into. Tuesday. You may find November a song 8th. on there that you need to play this coming Sunday. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go or check. the Sunday after. So go, go check, check it, it out. out. Hey, Jinx, buy me a car. Uh, but uh, hey, we're getting getting ready to, to uh, turn here into the interview uh, with Isaac. And man, we were just talking and you're going to hear on the episode so much great content. And in fact, I think this is going to lead us into some future episodes down the road uh, that we're going to bring Isaac back for for some more for some more uh, and just really intellectual. Yeah. I mean, this guy has has a lot more knowledge. He's forgotten more than I'll ever know. You know, just kind of a you can tell he just got that really intellectual mind that I always wished I had, but have never had. Um, But uh, talking a lot today about um, about culture and and the church that you're uh, in and the culture it can contribute to not only your church, but the people around you, the community. How does the church respond in, in crisis when and uh, with uh, global issues. And yeah. So just a lot of great content. Yeah. So take a listen. We're talking to Isaac. Isaac, would you, as we get started, just kind of introduce yourself to us, uh, let us know a little bit about who you are, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. My name is Isaac Wardell. I work as the director of Bifrost Arts, and uh, we've put out both worship CDs and liturgical materials. We've hosted some conferences, uh, and I also work every week as the worship leader at a Presbyterian church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Nice. Um, you'll have to forgive me today. I'm recovering from a little bit of a cold, so if my voice is a little low and gravelly, I'm not trying to be mysterious. That's just the uh, it just makes you sound cool. Its way out. Yeah. So, uh, so sorry, I was taking a drink of water because I'm recovering from a cold as well. So, um, but, um, uh, so if you would, would you just kind of tell us a little bit about Bifrost? I know you mentioned you've, uh, done some recording there, liturgical stuff, but, uh, maybe some of the purpose and mission behind, uh, behind Bifrost. Yeah, absolutely. 
You know, it might be most helpful to give you a little bit of a, the history and the context. Okay. Um, so I'm 37 years old. I grew up uh, kind of all over the country, mostly in the South, uh, in and around Memphis, Tennessee. And when I was growing up, uh, my parents had become Christians as part of like the, light, the lay revival in the 1970s. And I grew up in a big, non-denominational kind of megachurch environment. And uh, so what I thought of as kind of uh, normal, like my baseline for understanding what worship was, was sort of the contemporary worship music of the 1980s and 1990s. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, during that period of time, when I was in high school in the 90s, I actually had a Christian rock band and kind of did the Christian rock circuit and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, by, the time college, uh, by the time I went to college, uh, in the, when I was in college in the early 2000s, late 90s, um, I had kind of the pendulum for me aesthetically had swung all the way so that I was studying composition and, uh, you know, singing in a church choir with like an organ and got really into hymnody and all this kind of stuff. And I sort of turned my back on what I saw as being at the time, my sort of 21 year old self-righteous self saw as being sort of the shallowness of a lot of the contemporary worship music that I'd been around. Mm. Some of the celebrity culture, um, a lot of the accoutrements of what I sort of called the worship music industrial complex. And, um, and so I had sort of sworn off all that. And I was uh, just doing worship in the context of a very traditional sort of multi-generational Presbyterian church at the time. And uh, to make a long story short, what I ended up doing through my twenties was uh, being pretty unplugged from um, sort of mainstream Christian music. I didn't really have any of the new Christian worship CDs, was not really aware of what was going on in Christian music past about the year 1999 or 2000. And I spent about 10 years working as a worship director in a couple of churches, both in rural Georgia, which is kind of different than, you know, being in a big city, and then being in Brooklyn, New York, which is also different than sort of being in a, <laughs> being in a place like Memphis, Tennessee. Right. And in both cases, really just developing worship resources that emerged out of those local congregations, right? Like not getting our worship ideas from Nashville or from Los Angeles, not reading a lot of trade publications, not, um, not getting songs, not getting all the kind of new popular songs off the radio. But in both of those cases, sort of, uh, sort of developing a worship program at those churches that was really representative of the human beings in the room, right? So like in North Georgia, the church where I worked had sort of a sacred heart, bluegrass kind of feel with banjos and bass and all that kind of thing. But then when I was in Brooklyn, there was sort of a new wave jazz feel to the worship. And, and anyway, to make a long story short, I feel like I already have gone a little bit long. Uh, what ended up emerging out of those 10 years of leading worship in a local church context were original songs and sort of a, a particular musical perspective that um, sounded a lot different than what's on Christian radio. Mm. And so in about the year 2007, um, my longtime friend Joseph Penzak uh, approached me, he was a pastor outside of New York, about, getting, um, about trying to start recording these resources, trying to start recording some of these songs. And uh, so that's kind of how the beginning, that's kind of how Bifrost Arts got started, was just with recording some of these original worship songs and old hymn settings that we had already been doing in a congregational context. <laughs> and, uh, and then since beginning that, then it's grown into more things uh, beyond that. But uh, the genesis of the project was to say, uh, isn't it possible, isn't it possible that churches 
could actually, instead of just um, what we saw as uh, as many instances of the church sort of aesthetically following whatever was going on culturally at the time, like we're all familiar with this, right? It's mm-hmm. like, if you like the Arcade Fire, then you'll like this Christian rock. <laughs> right. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if uh, if the church were actually leading in some of these ways? If mm-hmm. we were, if the church could actually be a place of such beauty and imagination that people who weren't even Christians, people who weren't even interested in religious things, might be drawn into the church because of the beauty and the mystery of its sacred music, as opposed to what I actually saw being the case frequently that church aesthetics would actually can actually sometimes be a barrier for people coming to churches mm. that, you know, if you watch popular television shows like Seinfeld or South park, some of them have whole episodes dedicated just to ridiculing Christian music. Right. Right. And so what we actually wanted to ask was, is it possible for us to develop a creative space where we might actually help churches to think about the beauty of our worship in such a way that it could not be a barrier, but actually a bridge to um, to the communities that our churches are in, and so that's where the name Bifrost Arts came from. Uh, those of your listeners that are familiar with Norse mythology, or maybe who've seen the recent movie Thor, will know that Bifrost is this mythological bridge that connects heaven and earth. And we love that imagery hmm. of being bridge builders, um, of actually worship being one of the things that does connect heaven and earth. And so we uh, picked up on that language of Bifrost uh, for our worship materials that we were putting out. And uh, I guess to bring us up to date, that was 2007. We released uh, we released a worship record called Como Spirit back in 2008, and um, and it was really well received uh, in the small circles that that heard it, and uh, and what we heard more than anything was churches saying, not so much we like this record, where can we buy more records, but instead what we heard uh, was churches saying, where can we go to get more resources for how to think better about worship in our churches, yeah. and so uh, the gap that we have in the really stepping into has been um, has been in the area of trying to resource churches for how to think about worship and music in, um, in more creative ways. And, and I would say that, uh, that those resources have been especially popular in um, some of the new urban church plants for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. churches where um, people are starting um, people are starting worship programs in major urban areas and, uh, and they're thinking about, um, they're thinking about how their worship can actually be um, something that's really intriguing to these uh, sort of post-church millennials coming in, and uh, I think that our resources have been really useful, especially to folks in that in that demographic. Cool! Wow! Wow! That sounds like not just an incredible journey, but a really uh, a journey that we resonate with, or at yeah. least you know I resonate with deeply here. Uh, things we've talked about many times on the on the podcast and even actually, you know, big, uh, big emphasis of the ebook I wrote, you know, several years ago. Yep. So, um, really, a really great story there right in line with what we're trying to do here. We believe in the creativity of the local church that there is just a, 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 a plethora of untapped creativity that's just sitting in every local church and local communities that, that God wants to use. And, uh, so, so, so great to hear you talk about the uh, the local dialect of arts. I mean, every 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 church, every community speaks its own language, especially when it comes to the arts. And I think the church could really serve itself well if we 
dug into that a little bit and tapped into those resources. Right. And, and I think just to agree with your point, David, uh, you know, um, I, I love I love that concept of uh, the church being the trendsetter when it comes to art and music and not necessarily, um, you know, oh, let, let's see if we can sound like this person or sound like this group. So, uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, love love what you're saying. Love what you're doing. Thank you for sharing that. But there's a there's another uh, another aspect to what you do. I think um, you've you've said. I want to read a quote of yours. If you, <clears throat> I'm not. Uh, don't worry. I'm not going to. We're not throwing you under the bus or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, you you've said the work of the church is always to respond to the particular cultural challenges of our times. I think it's appropriate that our worship songs should not only speak of God's glory and His fame, but also about topics like human trafficking, gender identity global political violence, the disintegration of community, and a culture of loneliness and and estrangement. Jesus models for us what it looks like to enter the sorrows of the world, and so we hope to help the church to enter into those sorrows with the songs of this new record. Uh, Could you flesh that out for us a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, one of the really fundamental... um, one of the fundamental sort of building blocks that we use uh, when we're teaching on worship, whether that's um, at like a conference or, you know, workshops with worship leaders, is we use this language of worship being both an expressive act and a formative act, an expressive act and a formative act. And what we mean by that, what I mean by that when I use that language is that um, on the one hand, many of us, I hope, especially those of us uh, from an evangelical background, Many of us have had the experience of having deeply emotionally expressive moments in worship, moments in worship where uh, the Holy Spirit is working, where you have goosebumps, where you are moved to tears, where you have um, where you have extremely emotionally powerful experiences in worship. And um, and that's not just good because human beings are emotional beings. It's it's actually. Um, I think a really biblical way to think about what worship is that worship is this emotionally expressive act. And you see that um, beautifully portrayed in the Psalms, right? Um, and the Psalms which are kind of this worship book of the Bible. You see David coming to God with his whole emotional life, right? He says, my tears have been my food. He talks about clapping his hands and dancing with joy, shouting. And so on the one hand, we want to affirm that worship is um, absolutely an expressive act. But that while worship is certainly ex- an expressive act, what many of us, especially those of us from evangelical backgrounds, um, are sometimes a little bit um, a little bit slower in appreciating, is that worship is also a formative act. That in the same way that worship um, expresses our love relationship with God, that the things that we do in worship also form our love relationship with God. Does that make sense? That uh, we come to we come to God in worship with our hearts just as they are, right? Like with our words to sing, with the feelings that we feel. And yet, when we come to worship, the things that we do and the words that we say are also actually changing and reforming our hearts to love new things, right? I think most of us would kind of philosophically assent to that. Mm-hmm. But um, but if we believe that, if we believe that in worship, our musical choices and our lyrical choices, the things that we do each week, if those things are actually shaping us and forming us, 
Well, then I think we have to do a real audit of our worship services, mm. right? I think yeah. it's worth us actually looking at our worship services, looking at the song lyrics that we sing, at the prayers that we pray, and say, what is it that we are shaping people into? <laughs> what is it that we are teaching people to love? What is it that we are teaching people to, to care about? And what is it that we're sort of um, accidentally not teaching people to care about? And so all of this is sort of a, a big picture way of saying, to, to answer the, the quote that you gave there, that I think we actually have a responsibility in our churches, um, not just to give people what it is they want on Sunday mornings from a worship experience. And that's, that's a really easy kind of treadmill to get into. I, I understand. I, I lead worship every week in a large kind of megachurch setting. I understand the easy default setting to sort of get on that hamster wheel of innovation of saying, we've got to keep people interested. We've got to bring people, we've got to keep people happy in the pews. Right. But it's actually, uh, it's actually such a responsibility that we have as worship leaders. When we're the people putting the words of worship into our people's mouths, that we actually have a responsibility for their spiritual health and for their worshiping life, Mm -hmm. recognizing that we are actually forming these people to love certain kinds of things. And so right. all that is just to say, mm-hmm. um, you read me this quote of, I guess this quote of mine from a recent interview, <laughs> um, having, to do with, uh, having to do with lamentation. And our new project, uh, the, the recently, the record we just completed, is a, is a record called Lamentations. And so this is one aspect of that formative thing. Um, and the reason that we decided to make this record called Lamentations, that's a series of, uh, of corporate laments, is that, uh, frankly, um, frankly, I, I don't think that I have to work very hard to prove that uh, the people in my congregation, the people in your congregations, are lamenting, mm. right? Like, there are all kinds of reasons that our people are walking into church on Sunday mornings lamenting. Uh, our parishioners are walking into our church doors with um, political laments, right? Looking at the state of affairs in the United States and yeah. seeing... Orthodox Christian values become further and further uh, from the norm of mainstream American political social values. That's a, a source of lament that our people have. Mm-hmm. Our people are coming into our doors lamenting um, the epidemic of global political violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's difficult to turn on um, to turn on your news feed and not see um, more uh, pretty gruesome and horrendous. Um, examples of uh, seemingly uh, endless and futile violence around our world that we really can't escape. Our people are lamenting that. Our people are showing up on Sunday mornings um, lamenting uh, the loneliness and estrangement in their own lives. Um, Our people are walking into our doors, uh, experiencing the brokenness and fragility of a lost community. Before we, of course, before we went on the air today, you and I were talking. We were talking a little bit about social media, the fact that um, that people are lonely. Uh, people have uh, this fantasy of uh, this sort of fantasy of, of online communities uh, with people that don't really know them. And so, all this is to say, I don't think it's very hard to make the case that when we put on that guitar or sit down at that piano, and when we look out at that congregation, these people that God has brought into our doors. It is absolutely the case that these are lamenting people. These are people that have sorrows. And I think that one of the questions we have to ask as worship leaders is what kind of words are we giving people for their sorrows? Um, How are we shepherding people in their sorrows? And if we are ignoring their sorrows, 
are we just leaving it to their Facebook feeds and to their um, news feeds to tell them how to give words to their sorrows? Yeah. Because I will absolutely tell you that when I when I venture onto those social media platforms and I see the kind of language that Christians have to give voice to their pain, it is a source of pain for me to realize that we have not equipped the church to know how to sorrow and lament well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as it pertains to the quote that you read a few minutes ago, um, yes, I think that there are many, many reasons, both global and very personal. There are many reasons that our people are lamenting. And if worship is both expressive and formative, then I think it is absolutely incumbent upon us as worship leaders to actually be giving our people the words uh, of the scriptures to know how to lament well and how to grieve well. Yeah, and I think there's something powerful in that. I think there's something powerful in using, like what you were saying, using the scripture, using that to to give tools, to give credence, to give um, even application for our own lives on on how to respond and how to react. And uh, yeah, it's true. You know, we we're very easy as a culture to jump on Facebook or social media uh, to try to find answers or even just our, our, you know, way of thinking, you know, how do I respond? And it shapes us. And why not let worship music and the scriptures and, and the Bible kind of shape us and give tools for us as believers to lament. Uh, so that, yeah, that's great. That's the way it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be that our our liturgy, so to speak, gave us the the tools that that we needed for repentance, to, for yeah, for all those things, right? And we've we've kind of walked away from that, and and large and a large part, um, and even our even our theology was was defined more by what we sang, probably than than the sermon, right? So to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the theo- when I think theology. The, the first thing that comes to mind is hymns, right? Hmm. I, I, the, it's not it's not a good sermon. It's not a good book. And I part of part of the reason is I don't have that kind of mind. I don't have that. I call it the trivia mind, the mind that can just remember facts and facts and facts and just kind of store up knowledge and recall it at the drop of a hat. I just have never had that that mind. But I do have the ability to remember songs and to remember hymns and remember lyrics and those kinds of things. And so for me, that's that's the thing that that always comes to mind when I'm thinking about you know some aspect of God or or something uh, theological in nature. It, it's a hymn or it's a song that comes to mind first. And I think I think uh, you really just kind of drove that point home that we as a church need to be uh, we need to be giving our people tools, giving our people things that that they can remember. Because as as much as I hope to preach a you know a, a an astounding sermon that just you know goes home with people and they remember everything that I said throughout the course of the week. The real the reality is they're going to remember the music and the and that's what's going to stick with them. Are we giving them what they need in the music that uh, is going to help them in their walk with God and their interaction with a non believing world yeah. in the week ahead? Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, that's absolutely that is a great great. Uh, great thing you're working on there and uh so we'll be we'll be looking forward to that go ahead yeah one of the tools that um one of the tools that we try to give our congregation for understanding exactly what you're saying this idea that um we get our theology from our singing you know and that it's not just uh that it's not even just an optional thing is uh i always point people um so at my church i do like a 
we have an intro class where if you're going to become a member, you go through this 10 week Sunday school class, right? Yeah. And one of the weeks is on worship. And I teach that class uh, every time we do the, uh, every time we do the membership class. And one of the challenges I give all of our new members is just to consider the example of Jesus for a minute. Um, you know, many of us are familiar with this uh, sort of cultural phenomenon of a uh, WWJD. What would Jesus do? <laughs> and, uh, and the assumption behind the what would Jesus do campaign is that we all agree that Jesus lived the only perfect ethical life, right? That Jesus had perfect ethics. He led the perfect ethical life. And that if Jesus had um, the perfect ethical life, then it's reasonable for Christians to say, okay, when I get into any ethical situation, I can ask the question, what would Jesus, how would Jesus ethically respond? What is it that he would do? And I should model my behavior after that, right? Isn't that kind of a summary of that whole WWJD yeah. thing? Um, well, it seems fair to me, if we all agree that Jesus lived the perfect ethical life, that we can also say that Jesus lived the perfect liturgical life, that he left a, lived the perfect worshiping life, that Jesus was not just the only perfect doer that ever lived, but that Jesus was also the perfect worshiper, right? Mm -hmm. Now, many of us, um, especially if we come from more informal kind of worship backgrounds, many of us, um, I think, can fall prey to, uh, to sort of the deception that perfect worship is always extemporaneous, that perfect worship um, is always on the spot, that perfect worship is never planned, and that perfect worship is always articulated in the moment. It's never read from a page. It's never prepared in advance. That perfect worship is somehow always an improvisational act. And yet, when you look at the life of Jesus and you look at his worship practices, the things that he did, that it's very clear that Jesus spent time in the synagogue that Jesus used the Psalms to give, to teach him the words of how to worship. And that Jesus at various points in his life as a worshiper, in the same way that many of us call to mind our favorite song lyric in a difficult time of distress in our lives, that Jesus actually used the Psalms and called those words to mind to give voice to his own experiences, right? That when Jesus is explaining his ministry to people, Jesus quotes from Psalm 118 when he says, the stone that the builders have rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. That when Jesus is suffering, he quotes from Psalm 22 and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That when Jesus is actually faced with death, he quotes from Psalm 38 when he says, Father, to your hands I commit my spirit. Hmm. Now this actually pushes back against a notion that many of us have. That Jesus, being the only perfect person that ever lived, well, he didn't have to quote from somebody else's lyrics. He didn't have to use the Bible to find the words for how to make sense out of experiences. He should have just been able to make it up. And that while I believe it's true that Jesus could have make, made up the perfect, perfect worship words, that what's actually the case is that Jesus quoted from the Psalms to give, um, to find the words to interpret his experiences. And so... At the risk of sounding really quaint about it, I, you know, the sort of, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> I do think that there's the, I do think that that's a very powerful argument. Um, it's a very powerful argument for, um, for reclaiming the use of the Psalms in the way that we think about um, where we should be starting with our uh, worship lyrics and our, uh, and our scripture readings. Right. Very good. Uh, well, I've got a couple more questions here that are kind of along this, along this vein I'd like to ask. Um, you know, I, I I like the idea of of worship uh, being sort of a catalyst, so to speak, to 
to in helping people engage and respond and know how to deal with some of these issues, like you mentioned, human trafficking, gender identity, political violence, global political violence, and disintegration of community and culture and loneliness and so on and so forth. Um, but how, what are ways that we can connect real creative projects that we're working on in our local churches with those needs, you know, with the needs of the fatherless and the orphans and the widows and some of those things we've been called to, because uh, to me, that sounds, that sounds huge. How do I, how do I bridge that gap with worship and, and, and using these, these tools to help people uh, know how to respond and live their lives in the way that we've been called? Uh, yeah, that is huge. I think that's well put. Um, and, and frankly, I, I don't know how great of an answer I'm going to give to that question with, you know, eight minutes of a podcast episode. Right. But, uh, I think, I think it's a giant subject, you know? Um, but I think as a matter of fact, this was such a fascinating subject. Um, when we started asking this question four or five years ago, we ended up actually in Philadelphia a few years ago in 2013, hosting a three-day conference on nothing but that question. We spent three days of conference. We spent three days of lectures and workshops and um, conversations just on the question of worship and mercy and justice to mm -hmm. say, what can we do in our worship services to give people these broken hearts? Um, but a couple of things kind of rise to the surface right away. Um, one is that many of us, many of us have to learn how to be honest in our worship services. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that is super uncomfortable and it is super, um, it is, uh, it is not something that is an instant, uh, win with our congregations all the time. It's not something that always gives people really feel good kind of goosebumps and gets everyone's both hands up in the air and kind of creates a great climax for our services. It's difficult. It's hard work. But I think that being honest, uh, in our worship services involves first being honest about ourselves. Um, sometimes this comes in the form of confession in worship. It comes in the form of having space for silence mm. where we actually can contemplate and think about our own sin. But more to the point that you brought up, I think it has to do with being honest about the state of our world. Um, there's a wonderful article written by one of my heroes, a guy named John Whitley, about 10 years ago. Uh, you can find it online. The title of the article, I believe, is Leading Worship in Times of Civic um, Distress or Civic Crisis or something. And it talks about um, talks about how there's a temptation when uh, there are really really difficult things going on in our world or in our cities. There's a temptation as worship leaders to either completely ignore them. How many times have you gone to a worship service where someone says something like, "You know, we know we're coming from difficult times," you know, blah blah blah, but just leave that all at the door. You know, just forget about that now. We're here to worship, right? So there's a temptation to either completely ignore the sorrows of the world. The temptation um, to look for false closure or false clarity, where we say uh, some horrific tragedy has happened, uh, the murder of dozens of children uh, in, uh, in Connecticut. These kind of things happen, and we say, well, God has a plan. Say, oh, this is really difficult, but we know that they're in heaven now and that, and that things are better. Mm. Uh, we look for this kind of false closure that's basically um, a form of dishonesty. It's a form of... Um, it's a, it's a way that we want to avoid doing real business with God, with the sorrows of our hearts. And so one of our temptations is toward false closure. And then one of our, our temptations is toward uh, unrighteous anger. You know, in the book of James, it talks about how very rarely the, uh, 
the anger of man leads to the righteousness of God. And so when these tragedies happen uh, in churches, we get right on the bandwagon of, um, of our social media feeds and we point fingers and we are angry and we sin. And uh, one of the things that, my, that one of my heroes and mentors, John Whitley, talks about in his article is actually the church needing to, to learn how to grieve, mm. that it is actually a, um, a spiritual discipline for us to come together in our churches and to say, God, we cry out to you together. We lament these things. We weep with those who weep. We do not understand why you do what you do. God, where are you? When will you show up and do this? And those prayers and those songs are uncomfortable, but that is what our neighbors are dying to hear from us. Mm. Like our neighbors are walking into our doors and they are hoping that someone will give the words to the sorrows that they're actually experiencing. Mm. And so I think the first place we have to start is uh, with actually being honest uh, from up front in our worship services. Hmm. Well, like like you said, it sounds like there is a a mountain of uh, material that that we could talk about, or that yeah. you probably have already prepared to to discuss. Um, one last question, and then if you will, I'd like for you to share with us at the end how how uh, our listeners and ourselves, because I'm interested, could go and uh, and read some more about this, learn more about what you're talking about so that we could be more equipped uh, to to lead our congregations through through these kinds of situations and uh, better prepare them for uh, what for life, for real life, not just the uh, glossed over life like we may do on Sundays, but um, for kind of stretching all the way back to the first the first question for a church that has, uh, spend its time and its and its energy kind of just following the patterns that are laid before them, you know, doing uh, the, the top 20 worship songs that are put out by, uh, by CCLI or whatever those are, the, you know, the most, uh, the most used on planning center, those kinds of lists that we kind of go to and the, the church that's always kind of been in that vein and now wants to look at developing a, a, a culture of creativity that uh, is built up within their church and in their community. Uh, what what tips would you give them to kind of get started in that process? Yeah, um, we're all about table language here at my church, uh, putting people around tables. Uh, I was at a luncheon here on uh, worship and disability. It was families from our congregation as well as from some other congregations that are touched by intellectual and physical disabilities and saying, what do we need to do to help you worship? How can our worship be more hospitable to you? The reason I mention it is not to sound real goody two-shoes about it, but actually the thing I want to under underline about it is that we didn't have a meeting and we didn't have a lecture and we didn't show a video and we didn't have a program. And we didn't do a handout. Well, there was a handout, but it was <laughs> the handout was a small part of it. Um, we sat together at a table, and this notion, uh, this notion that church happens around a table, is not just um, like a branding concept. I think it's something that's initiated by our Lord Jesus Himself, and I think it's an image that appears in the Scriptures over and over and over again. That uh, the people of God are people who don't just um, assent to the same ideas and not just people that um that do the same things but really sit together at a table and so when you answer the when you ask the question about how do you get started i think you get started at a table i think you get started with uh 
with getting together uh, maybe different kinds of artists or craftspeople from your church and having a lunch and saying, uh, what are you excited about? What's God doing in your heart? What's God getting you uh, passionate about? Um, I think that being around a table means getting people together across generational lines. I think we have to ask the question, um, if we only have one generation in our congregation, like, you know, if our, if our whole church is like 30 and 40 years old, well, there's probably something we're doing here that's actually, you know, not hospitable or not welcoming to older people or younger people or whatever. Mm. But, uh, but like here at our church, we did a, we did an art project a couple of years ago where we had a quilting bee and we asked, um, people from our congregation to bring in various piece, pieces of fabric that had some kind of special meaning to them. And then we had a graphic designer design what this, these giant 20 foot banners would look like. And then we had all the quilters in our church who, as you might imagine, are mostly 60, 70, 80 years old. The quilters in our church then took all the pieces of fabric and actually quilted those pieces of fabric into a banner together that we would all sort of be looking at when we came up for communion. But the point of that project is that's a table project, right? Like that's a project that happened because we got those people together at the same table. We said, what do you do? You know, what are you enthusiastic about? We had a lot of quilters, you know, we had some graphic designers and we kind of said, well, what could we do with this? You know? So I think that getting started um, at a table with the actual human beings in your congregation and just saying to them, like, you know, what are you enthusiastic about? I'll brag on a buddy of mine. I have a friend who's a worship director here in town at an Acts 29 church. And uh, they got a couple hundred folks in their church. And he started a challenge where he told people, hey, email me. And I want to come spend the afternoon with you and let's write a worship song together. You know, even if you're not a musician, you've never done anything before. I want I want to come over to your house. I want you to tell me about what's going on in your life. And I am going to help us. We're going to write a worship song about what's going on in your life. Yeah. Well, hey, besides for being great relationally, you know, a handful of those songs make it into the worship service. Hmm. And you think about the spiritual experience that that person has with that worship song. Right. And then the ripple effects of that through that whole congregation. So the point to that is to say... I think that uh, I think this journey doesn't begin on a planet center. I think this journey begins uh, around a table. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, lots and lots of great information there. Um, how can our listeners uh, find out more if they want to if they want to explore this more or go uh, learn more from you? How would they go about doing so? Yeah. Um, so let's see. This Friday, we're excited to be having a. Uh, a nationwide release of our worship record lamentations this is a record that is entirely songs of lament uh that might make it sound like it's a real downer of a record it's not that much of a downer it's got some upbeat song it's got some upbeat songs and some quiet ones um but it's called lamentations and they're entirely uh sort of field tested worship songs that we do in my congregation um that are songs of lament so, uh, so that comes out this Friday. Uh, the record label decided to put it to put it out on election weekend, so you can do what you will with that. <laughs> um, that's great. What what label is that and, on? And uh, so that's the first thing. That's a a new imprint of Tooth and Nail Records called Gospel Song Union. It's okay. also where you can find the records of all of Citizens and Saints, as well as King's Kaleidoscope. Okay, nice. And um, so that's the first thing that I would that I would uh, direct people's attention to. Frankly, uh, this is not really uh, very self-promoting, but that article that I mentioned earlier, I just pulled it up online. It's called A Time to Weep, Lament in Times of Crisis. Mm. A Time to Weep, Lament in Times of Crisis. So if you just Google that, you'll find that article online. It's by, uh, by John Whitley. I think um, that article will then 
you know, hyperlink you to 10 other resources that are really useful um, in thinking about lament and worship. So I guess that, that, those are the first two things I'd point people to. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Isaac. Um, we yes. we appreciate it. We know you're probably a busy man, but uh, we have gleaned a lot of a lot of wisdom and insight from your, our time with you today. And thanks for coming on and uh, sharing what you have to offer to help encourage yeah, I, the worship world. I was going to say, Isaac. You know, I, I feel uh, I feel like we could probably do two or three or four episodes. You know, just kind of sit here and just kind of soak in all these things that you have to say. So thank you. Uh, for sharing uh, all the things on your heart and the things that God's been doing. Hey, it is, it's an honor to talk to you guys, and it's an encouragement to me to see what God's doing all over North America. Um, so thank you very much for uh, for taking the time with me. For sure. Well, like we said. Great, right? Great. I mean... I, I was telling I was telling Dave I'm like uh, man you know you uh, uh, you could probably just sit there for you know uh, for a while and just you know hear I you know he's not a preacher he's a guitar player but man I'm like just I'll sit there and just let you preach to me like tell tell me what I need you know tell me these things I need to hear and I feel these are things that we need to hear mm-hmm. we need to be reminded as the church. Uh, that there is beauty in the church, that that there is a way for us to lament in a biblical way, even through music, and and uh, um, yeah, excited about the possibility. You know, we had um, talked um, with Isaac afterwards about uh, maybe doing like a little mini series in in a, a few months, in in uh, five or six months, doing some sort of a mini series with him on the podcast. So mm-hmm. We'll see, we'll see how that how that goes. It really resonated with me, and you know, it's it's. It's the revolution I think needs to take place in worship, right? I mean, I think that's why we've talked on the podcast so many times about about the beauty that is in your local church, and we just need to foster that. We need to we need to help create the space for that creativity to exist, you know. And um, and I love that idea. He was talking about you know it starts at a table. It doesn't start on planning center. Doesn't start anywhere else. It starts right. at a, in a conversation. And who can you sit down with in your church this week around the table and start talking about what's our what's our language? What is our creative language? What is our dialect here that we can speak truth into this culture and help them see uh, the the love of Christ, the truth of Christ, the, all of these things, and and help them have something to to wrestle with that context in the week ahead. Yeah. And you know, I want to sit around a table and find some people and do a quilt. That's what I want to yeah, do. I'm like, I've never quilted in my life. Let's do the quilt. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Great, great stuff from Isaac. Hopefully we'll have him back in a, a number of, a few months and do maybe a couple of yeah. uh, mini series type episodes. So that's all the time we have today for this episode. Uh, as we mentioned, we're working hand in hand with uh, garden city project. So uh, we're going to be sharing more about that in the, in the weeks ahead. But for now, you can just go over and check them out, GardenCityProject.com. You can find us at www.WorshipMinistryCatalyst.com, and you can uh, send an email to Kevin at WorshipMinistryCatalyst.com. And we decided that's the only one we're going to mention. Just me. Yeah, because yeah. I'm so awful at responding to emails. Yeah, D- David just, uh, he forwards the emails to me, so we're just going to do me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you want to get in touch with us, uh, or if you have, um, you know, like Stephen Miller got in touch with me, and was like, hey, I'm I'm releasing this, uh, you know, this EP in God We Trust on October 18th, and and uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, it's just it's just been a long time since Dave and I have recorded because we were busy in Disneyland and other places. Uh, but yeah, send me an email. Would love to uh, hear from you and and uh, chat with you more. 
And uh, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash WMCatalyst or facebook.com slash worship ministry catalyst. As always, we appreciate any reviews you're willing to give in iTunes and help listeners uh, find us that way. Spread the word. Uh, we're really going to be making pushes in the next months and, and just the coming future of the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast to, to support and to, to help local churches, local artists, and just be, be a catalyst to, to, get, to get the local church being what we think it should be. Yeah. So Good stuff. So that's it for this episode, episode 171 in the can. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Twitter.com slash WM Catalyst. Facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst.